Testing. <clears throat> Welcome to TalentCast, where we talk about, uh, how about talent? Uh, if your business runs on talent, and spoiler alert, it does, our mission is to help you get the best without being beholden to, you know, the way we usually do things. If you have questions or want advice or want to ping me uh, for any reason whatsoever, I'm on Twitter at the War for Talent, or you can go to thetalentcast.com. That's thetalentcast.com to get contact information. Uh, maybe see our show notes, you know, if that's your thing. Uh, I'm looking forward to talking about these issues so we can find new ways of solving our problems. We have communal problems. You me, everybody, we have these problems together. Let's solve them. Who am I? I'm James Ellis. No, that doesn't help? Okay. Uh, I'm just a crazy guy who thinks that the revolutions that hit newspapers and music and movies and books and cars and hotels and dating, you know, just to name a few, have only begun to scratch the surface for the talent space. You know, it feels like a million changes have taken place in the last five years, but I think it's only started. Uh, the revolution, if you want to call it that, hasn't even hit us yet. Uh, I currently work out of Chicago at the largest recruitment marketing agency in the world, and I'm here to help you understand the changes about to hit us and maybe how to sell your boss and how to fix them. I don't know. Does that sound good? Uh, if I reference a site or an article or person, I'll add them in the show notes. Again, thetalentcast.com, and I promise to do my best not to be boring. Okay? Sound good? Here we go. In today's show, we are obligated because it's our premiere episode, to start at the issue that everyone seems to be talking about, the great, unwashed, huddled masses yearning to pay their student loans. Yes, that's right. We're talking about millennials. Good morning. I'm James Ellis. Uh, let's talk about millennials, shall we? Doesn't that sound like fun? Uh, by the way, full disclosure, pre-coffee. I got like 10 more minutes for the coffee's done brewing. So uh, we're gonna, you're going to see a, a marvelous transformation as, I, as the coffee kind of trickles into me. So... I want to talk about millennials. Why? Because you want to talk about millennials. Oh, yes, you do. I know it because when I go to you know conferences or blogs or Twitter, it's pretty much all you people want to talk about. And by you people, of course, I mean me people. Millennials are a big deal. We're terrified of them. Okay, full disclosure, I'm 44, uh, so not millennial. In fact, I'm deep, deep, deep in the Gen X world, as are many of you. Um, and to, for some reason, the millennial generation, we've, you know, marketers have done a great job kind of lumping them together and saying, oh, they're X, oh, they're Y, oh, they do this, oh, do they, you have to treat them differently. Um, I, I like to blame the Wall Street Journal for its 10-year campaign of, of labeling the, this generation as whiny and needy and demanding uh, perpetual and incessant uh, – um, just just love, just in feedback and encouragement. And I think, okay, yes, there's some of that, but I think we need to talk more about it. So I want to talk about millennials and recruiting because I think we're getting it wrong. What? Yeah. So, well, you know, cards on the table real quick. So we're all on the same page. Millennials, Generation Y, born between 83 and 98. Um, you know, they, they we, yeah, blah, blah, blah. The thing is, is that I don't think those generations are strictly age-based. I think there's a lot more to it than that. And I think, you know, I think back to my parents, my parents being boomers, classic boomers. They read the paper every morning. They watched nightly news every night before they went to bed. Every night. Tom Brokaw, NBC News, every night. I know he's all about the greatest generation. Yeah, yeah, They watched him every night. They read the paper every morning. My dad took the train in. He read uh, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and maybe a Daily News, I think. Um, on the train in, New York, uh, nightly news on the way home. Gen X, however, hi, how you doing? Uh, we were, while we were weaned, certainly on nightly news, I watched the nightly news because my parents watched nightly news. Um, 
Hey, Mom. Hey, Dad. Um, what we were born into and what we understood to be true was the 24-7 news cycle. That is CNN, headline news. Now headline news. It used to be CNN. used to be headline news before they switched it and broke it up, for those of you who remember the 80s and 90s. Um, we expected a perpetual stream of information, a perpetual hose of, yes, this is what's going on in the world, and we'll keep you up to date all the time, two in the morning, two in the afternoon, does not matter. We're always here for you. Now, obviously, that has some issues. Trying to fill a 24-7 news monster is tough. Uh, being Having to feel like you're always having to be first to market with a piece of information, whether right, whether wrong, that's a tough business to be in and fraught with issues, as we all know. But that's the world. But then the world changed, and the world changed into this new world where everybody got their news from wherever they wanted from any source, okay? That's different from CNN 24-7. It sounds similar, but it's not because it's not just about the 24-7-ishness. It's about the source. It's about somebody, possibly, let's say, uh, Matt Drudge deciding, ah, I'm a newspaper person. Why? Because I got a website. Let's go. That's all he did. He stuck a little piece of paper in his hat, and away he went. He called himself the news. And then everybody went, wow, we ever, he can do it? Well, guess what? I'm going to do it. And then you've got political commentators on the left and right. You've got in the center and in the top and the bottom and every corner between. Um, you've got people commenting and writing news and writing stories and opinion pieces about everything under the sun, science and nature and uh, relationships and people and yada, 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 yada. These are things that now everybody's an expert. Everybody can speak up and say, yes, I am a news source. I am the news. And that's the Generation Y. That's the millennial idea. Whereas the Gen X, even though it was a 24-7, there was a gatekeeper. There was a filter. There was some editor somewhere you could point to and say, wow, when you said that Martians created the pyramids, you were wrong. That's on you, buddy. Or but at, um, that, that That's gone. Now, newspapers, or the news, I think is more accurate, can say whatever they want, and when they are wrong, what happens? And I think of papers or you know news sites on the very left and very right who are there to create extremism and to create reactions and are paid effectively to create a reaction, not to inform. Um, what happens when they're wrong? What happens when they're wrong? There's no gatekeepers, per se, there. Everybody gets to be the news. Okay, so if that's true... What does it matter? What, what, how does that impact a thing? James, why did you just spend three minutes explaining CNN? Um, I think what we really need to talk about is the internet. Why? Because we have to, because it's without question the pink elephant in the room, about millennials. They were born virtually into the internet. The internet really came about in 1995 towards the tail end of millennials showing up, but really, let's be fair, if you're five and the millennials and the internet shows up, you were born into it. You were always, it was always there for you. Um, and the thing about the internet, it's not so much that it's AOL, and it's not so much that it's I get to play games. It's not so much – a lot of people miss it. I think it is about the fact that suddenly you can put information out there without gatekeepers. Used to be if you wanted legal advice, you had to go pay a lawyer a hundred blah, 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 an hour and ask them for advice and say, I think this is this, and what do you think? And they would tell you, and that's that. If you needed a lawyer to help you with a will – hundred and blah, 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 blah an hour. You needed a lawyer to help you with a uh, small claims court, blah, 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 blah an hour. There were gatekeepers, doctors the same way. You had an issue, you had a rash, you had a problem, You something hurt when you did this. You went to a doctor and they charge you whatever they charge you via insurance or not um, to tell you what the answer was. And they weren't always right. None of these people are always right, but they are these so-called experts. <clears throat> now, the thing is with the internet, 
said, yeah, we're not doing experts. Remember that Matt Drudge thing where he just raised his hand and said, I'm the news? Anybody can raise their hand and say, here's a legal opinion. Here's a medical opinion. I didn't go to med school, but I think it's this. Why? Because my kid had it and it looked exactly like that and here's what I did and it seemed to work. How is that information any less valuable than a doctor who did go to a med school, great med school in fact, and says something slightly different? How is that different? Well, obviously there's a price change, but really it's about what? It's a lack of gatekeepers. It's a lack of an expert. It's anybody. It's a world in which anybody can be an expert. Um, you know, this is an age in which you've heard that phrase, information wants to be free. That didn't happen before 1995. No one said that before that. No one really thought of it that way. No one really had those thoughts. Information was something you locked in a, even if it was the digital age, you locked it on a floppy disk or you locked it on a hard drive or you locked it on a, on a, a server bank somewhere. Yes, there were server banks before 1995. <clears throat> um, Information wants to be free is a concept in which everyone's an expert and everybody can say what they want to say on the, t on the internet all the time and it's always available. That's, a, that's that brand new world. And if you're anything like me, you're coming up in the same age as me, that's radically different. I had to go to school. I had to get an MBA. I had to go, you know, if I want lots of information, I had to go to the library and I had to look up the LexisNexis and I had to do searches for, wait for it, news articles or journalistic pieces or research about the information I was looking for. I couldn't find somebody who w went through that situation and say, what do you think and have them explain it to me like I can now. It also means that this is a world kind of without secrets. I mean, let's be fair. 20 years ago, you had no idea what your neighbor paid for that house. You had no idea what your neighbor paid for that car. You had no idea. You probably had no way of knowing what your neighbor made for, made uh, every year in salary. Well, I hate to tell you, but right now, or maybe not hate to tell you, but this is the truth, you can go find a lot of that information out right now. You can go to any number of housing uh, websites, Zillow and Redfin and all those others, and say and look up an address and say, this is what that house is worth. And here's the history of that house. You didn't have to go... Drop twenty bucks on some town, per, you know, a civil servant to say, "Hey, can you let me have access to this information? And can you get it to me this month?" It was right there. It was open, available. You can suddenly realize, <clears throat> excuse me, that your neighbor has not been living there for fifty years, like they said. They bought that house five years ago, and now you know exactly what they paid. And that's a lot of open information. That means these secrets are gone. You've got companies advertising that you can find out the best price to pay for a car in your area. No more secrets from the dealer. This is what this kind of information internet world is breeding. And that's what this, this is the, this is the idea that the generation that we're talking about has really jumped into. This is what it means to be a millennial. I mean, it means that if there are no experts and there are no gatekeepers, you can reach out and talk to anybody. And I mean, anybody. You wanna to talk to the Pope? I see he's got a Twitter account. You want to talk to the talk, the Donald? You can go tweet him, and apparently 3 in the morning he loves to be up and respond. You want to reach out to the president? Well, there's a number of ways, but yeah, by the way, Twitter. You want to reach out to John Oliver, who does a great job making fun of all those people? Yes, you can tweet him. Um, and just because I realized this is fairly boy-centric, uh, I went and figured out who the most famous person on Twitter was, and it's a woman. It's Katy Perry. Uh, so you want to reach out to Katy Perry and talk about whatever you want to talk about to Katy Perry? She's on Twitter. Go tweet her. She doesn't have to respond, but you can still reach out to her. Now, I know that this sounds kind of either obvious or crazy, depending on how old you are, depending on what you've seen. But the truth is, this is the, the new world. So let me give you a story that's 1,000% real. 
I am a huge, 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 huge fan of the book Art of Action by Stephen Bungay, B-U-N-G-A-Y. I'll throw that information in the show notes just so you can go see it. Um, Great book. Great, great, great book. But it's like one of those best-kept secrets in business and strategy that's read by some people, but it's not part of the canon, so to speak. Everybody doesn't know what it is. Everybody doesn't talk about it. Uh, But I think it's fascinating. You know, the the, the 30-second synopsis is – um, this is a historian and consultant for, I believe it was Boston Career, uh, Boston Consulting Groups, and he realized that instead of, you know, in business they say success comes from a number of different factors. There's the um, the so-called great man theory or the great person theory where um, Steve Jobs was a great person and he led Apple to greatness. It's like, well. Does that mean in order to lead a company to greatness, you need to be a total jerk uh, and scream at people and have insane expectations and be a fairly damaged human being? No. Okay, so maybe that's not exactly the right answer. Or maybe it's pure luck. Or maybe it's what Stephen Bungay was saying is that a lot of times success comes not from the individual or does come from an individual or the individual plays a role. But what it is is that the individual develops a system, a process, a environment in which that success occurs. It's an in direct way of making success and I think he makes an incredibly valid case using uh, both business and um, you know military history which I'm usually not a big fan of but man it's really good book fantastic book really well written love it love it love it and then I said so on Amazon and I wrote a review why because that's what you're supposed to do right except I didn't think that was enough I decided what I needed to do was find him on LinkedIn make friends with him and have a conversation with him right that's not normal. That's not normal. That's not what you do. You read a book by someone, and you go, that's a good book, and you maybe recommend it to a friend, and that's the end of that conversation. That's the end of that transaction, except this is the internet age where there are no gatekeepers and no one blocking me from talking to an author I think is fascinating or an author I think has said something interesting or going the other way, an author I think is completely full of it. There's nothing to stop me. And by the way, I'm pouring coffee. Those are those noises you hear, and you're all welcome. You're going to want me to have some coffee. Um, this is the world. You get to go find this guy, have a conversation, and there it is. Um, and this isn't the only time I've done that. Uh, <laughs> my own uh, personal Mount Rushmore, it goes um, Richard Saul Worman, who started TED and is an information thinker. You've got uh, Seth Godin, who I don't think I have to explain. And you've got Tom Peters, who is a management consultant guru person. Um, there's room for a fourth. I'm, I'm, I'm always open for options. Tom Peters is a genius. He's a glorious maniac, um, which sounds like someone I would like, right? Um, He's effectively a guy who made so much money putting together uh, banquet rooms full of executives from massive, massive, massive companies like GM and Chrysler and and IBM and, and the like and yelling at them for an hour and a half with very simple facts about how the world is changing and they all paid him six figures for it. You know what? Wow. That's just glorious. Anyway, I've read every book he's read, written. Um, he's fantastic. Um, love him, love him, love him. He's on Twitter. Huh, look at that. And I have actually screen grabbed, um, and I keep it <laughs> because it's so insane, uh, the moment in which Tom Peter tells me I'm a jerk and stupid for thinking X or Y or Z. And he does it on Twitter, and I literally have a Twitter fight with him with my Mount Rushmore hero on Twitter about recruiting and, and, and the business of recruiting and um, it's actually a lot of something about something slightly different than that, but but ah, <laughs> I mean, I'm just me. I'm just some guy. 
how am I how am I having a conversation with Tom Peters? Well, it's the internet. It removes the idea that someone had to tap me on the shoulder and choose me and say, you're allowed to have these conversations with interesting people. I look at your Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and stuff and I go, you know, Walt Mossberg, who if you don't know, I think he works currently for The Verge and any number of other sites. He used to do work for Wall Street Journal and, uh, oh boy, I'm blanking on he, he's done, Walt Mossberg is like the tech journalist. He's been here forever. Um, He's the one who interviewed Bill Gates and um, Steve Jobs on stage at the same time. I mean, that's, you know, I didn't do that. And yeah, I'm sure they asked a question or two from the audience, but he got picked. He worked his entire life to get to that moment. He developed expertise to make it there. Now, I just have to tweet. I would, well, one of them's no longer with us and one of them's probably not on Twitter very much. Um, but if I wanted to reach out to, I could. And frankly, I know that Steve, uh, I'm sorry, Bill Gates does respond to social media comments. He does He's around, he exists, and he interacts. And this is the world in which there's no gatekeepers and the world keeps changing and everything's out there. So if that's all true, and I believe it is because it happened to me, um, if that's all true, maybe we stop calling it the the internet age. Maybe we start calling this the findable age, meaning any piece of data, any piece of information, any piece of knowledge is available. It's there. You just have to go get it, and it's actually not that hard to get. Again, it's not LexisNexis and a library card. It is I have access to a computer or a phone, and I can just pull it out. Or frankly, I can just hit a button and say, hey, Siri, blah, 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 and Siri go gets the thing. Maybe this isn't so much about the internet age of millennials. Maybe this is the Google generation, the generation of people who knew at any point in time I could just go Google the thing and there it is, right? If the world is 100% at your fingertips, everybody's remember that story or the, um, maybe not the story, maybe it's apocryphal, who knows? Um, Albert Einstein, someone asked him his phone number. He says, I don't know, you gotta look it up. And he goes, why, do, why is it the smartest person in the world doesn't know his own phone number? He goes, if it's look upable, I, why would I need it? I'm sure I'm paraphrasing because my German's really very bad. Um, <clears throat> if it's look, if you can find it, why do you need to remember it? Why do you need to memorize it? And we're in a world where 20, 30, 40 years ago, your knowledge was what you kept in your head. Well, guess what? That's not the case anymore. My knowledge is, yes, there's some of it that's in my head, but it's the fact that I can go Google the thing and bring it to me and connect it to the other things I have in my head. It's Googleable. It's findable. It's very available. And that's the world we're living in. This is the Google generation. And I'm going to go take a sip of coffee. And that's the pause you're about to hear. All right. So if we're talking about not the millennials, but the Google generation or Generation Google, we can break them up into two different groups, two different flavors, as you were. And I think, too, I have a, a very younger sister. She's 25 now. Uh, and I think back to her job search a year ago, year and a half ago. Um, she came out of the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Hi. Hey, guys. Hey, Badgers. Uh, I, 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 I'm friendly with them. Um, <clears throat> I used to actually be Bucky Badger on Twitter, by the way, which is a, a funny story we'll talk about at some other podcast. Um, she graduated with a history degree. So, you know, meh, like everybody else, Sure, it's a degree. Someone told her to go find something you're passionate about, and she did. And now she's, you know, hungry and needing to pay student loans and rent. And uh, now what? So she among, let's just say from Madison, Wisconsin, probably about five or 6,000 kids who are not computer science degree students and not um, business school students, I guess, if you want to include that, or nursing students. I don't think Madison has a nursing program. Um, pre-med, maybe. I don't know. Um, 
that she 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 has a mediocre GPA, and even if she had a great GPA, she doesn't have any internships. She works for the housing department. She was an RA for two years, so she kept her kids safe for two years, which you know, in light of resume parlance, is pretty worthless. Um, she's like every other kid that got pounded out of that school that year. She's like one out of five thousand kids. Now, luckily, she got the heck out of Madison and came to Chicago, but. Yes, there's more money, more jobs in Chicago, but that there's actually a lot more kids in the exact same boat who came from Northwestern and Ohio State and Minnesota and um, University of or the uh, University of Chicago or uh, Illinois or Northwestern or any number of other schools in here, Columbia and DePaul, uh, Loyola. There's a, every year a metric ton of graduates descends upon Chicago going, I'm hungry and I need, and I'm terrified and I need a job. Give it to me. What do you want a job in? I, what part of I'm hungry and I need a job do you not get? Just give me a job. They're not selective. They don't have a lot of skills to bring to bear. They have exactly what they were taught in school, which is, okay, great. Um, they don't have a lot of experience. Um, maybe they had one or two jobs get going through school or maybe in high school. They're effectively all intents and purposes, the same. They are a mass of neediness without a lot to give. Now, as they descend upon the job market every year, they go looking for that elusive button that says the magic words, apply here. That's all they want. Just give me the button. Just give me the button. Just give me the button. I don't care what the job is. I don't care if it's taking out trash. I don't care if it's being a law clerk. I don't care if it, I don't care if it pays and I'm I, I, hit the button, 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 hit the button. They're button mashers like they're playing a video game. And in this case, this is and, and you know it's true. You look in your ATS for your entry level uh, entry level jobs and there's 100, 200, 500 kids all who are virtually indistinguishable from each other applying for a job that they're not really quite qualified for. And if they had just read the job description, they would know. But of course they didn't. They were too busy looking for the apply now button to hit the button. They're button mashers. Now that's one side. On the other side, you have searchers. You have people who, oh, let's say have had a year or two experience of getting their butt kicked by the world and have learned a thing or two about it. Uh, Maybe they had a good internship. Maybe they have a little side hustle where they try to work on something. Maybe just magically they're just they leveled up a little better and a little faster than the rest of the the kids. Um, they have something they can offer. They're not one of the masses. They are one of themselves. They are selective. They can search for the job they want. Now, if we go back to the marketing funnel, and by the way, I just got paid a dollar because I said marketing funnel. Um, I think I'm going to be uh, obliged to use the marketing funnel example on some level because it is um, it, it's the foundation upon which all of our recruitment marketing has to be based. You have the funnel, excuse me, and you know, and you remember the funnel. You can visualize it in your head. You know, you start it unaware, you become aware, you become interested, you decide, and then you act, and that's. A process you go through whether you're buying Cheerios and tacos, whether you're buying a house or applying for a job. You were unaware there was a job. You were aware they had a job. You were interested in that job. You decided to apply for that job. You took action. You applied for that job. Same thing as I'm hungry, but I didn't realize there were tiny round oat, crushed oat things uh, in yellow boxes. Oh, I'm suddenly becoming aware that even though I'm hungry, yes, there are tiny round crushed oat things in yellow boxes. Um, I'm interested in those tiny yellow round oat things in yellow boxes. I'm, I, You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to buy those tiny crushed oat 
things in yellow boxes and now I'm going paying the, the, the person for that those Cheerios and I'm hoping they're delicious. That's the funnel. It's true. Um, we know that the funnel is populated with lots of information, meaning if you're interested, if you're looking for a job, where do you go? You go to a job board. You go to Indeed. You go to Glassdoor and LinkedIn. You go to the places where the jobs are, right? It's a mistake to say, I'm going to go to Facebook, right? I, I, don't, I don't know. I've yet to meet the person who says, I need a job. I'm going to go on Facebook and find a job. And yet we all publish our jobs there. Hmm, weird. Anyway, separate conversation. And we will get to that conversation, I can assure you. Um, so they go looking for the job and they find the job. And now they're aware that the job exists and now they need more information. So they're going to go to LinkedIn and Glassdoor and Facebook and Google to do the research about the company, about the role, about the experience, about the brand, about the location. They're going to do their due diligence to figure out if this is the right job for them. And then they decide and then they take action, right? And, you know, you've got the career site makes a, an appearance there and they stop in and out and they do their thing. The thing is, is that the button masher flavor of people are looking to get from the top of that funnel to the bottom of the funnel in as fast a means as humanly possible. Meaning, I want to find a job and I want to find a button and I want to hit the button and apply. Next. They didn't do research. They didn't consider. They're aware, they're, they're, they're change in state from unaware to aware. We, you could measure on a, I think you need, um, you know, you need to crush a, a quark to figure out the length of time for that sort of thing. It's, it's minuscule. It's impossible to consider. Um, button mashers are just looking for the shortest path from the top to the bottom of that funnel. But selective people, they're going to bounce around. They're going to move around. They're going to touch those bases. They're going to check Glassdoor. They're going to look at more information. They're going to search for Google. They're looking for fit. And if they can't find the information that gives them that fit, bye-bye. Well, first off, they'll look a little more, hopefully. Uh, they're the Google generation. They know to keep Googling for it. But if they can't find it, they'll just give up on you because they know that the next company has plenty of it. And that's why you're getting crushed. You know, so you have to ask yourself in a, any given situation, do you want people who apply to any job with a pulse, so to speak, the job board surfers, the job hoppers, people who are just looking for whatever, or do you want people who are selecting you? who have done the research, who know who you are, who know what you're about, who've chosen you because they're the ones who are going to be impact players. Okay. Obviously, you want more you know, searchers than button mashers. There's a time and a place for a button masher. But really, you want those impact players. You want those selective people. And the truth is we have to remind ourselves about recruitment's first law, and that is recruitment is about quality, not quantity. This is something you all know, whether you said it to each other or to yourselves, but it's true. Your job is not to get more. Your job is about getting better. If you sold tacos and you sold a million tacos today, guess what? You're getting a raise and a promotion and you're getting your name and face in a newsletter somewhere. Congratulations. You sold a million tacos. That's amazing. Man, I want a taco. But if you had a job and you drove a million people to apply for that job, you're fired. Maybe you're just getting a talking to, but this is not good. Your job is to get five great people. Bring three of them into the interview. Have the, the, the hiring manager have to choose between two amazing candidates and one of them gets a job. That's nirvana for you. That's what you want. That is a best case scenario, right? It's about quality, not quantity. So if we go back to the button mashers versus the searchers, you want more searchers. These are the people who are going to make the biggest impact. Now, how do you, the thing is, is that chances are 
you're optimized for the wrong audience. You're optimized for the button pushers. Hold on. Good coffee today. Um, you're optimized around mobile apply, speed of apply. You measure the distance between job and the application process. You figure out how to shorten and optimize that process to be as short as possible. Who does that sound like? Sounds like your button mashers. That's all they care about. But have you had conversations about building stories that you can make easily available to the public about who you are, about who should apply, the kinds of people who are successful there, who grows and who doesn't? Because that's what a selective person wants to find. So if you're optimized against how do we get people to apply faster, you're optimized the wrong way, the wrong way. Stop it. You have to think differently. You have to think about how do I track those more interesting, selective people, and what do they want? They want information. So if what they want, these amazing, wonderful people, is to have fit, how do you define fit? We'll probably have another discussion about fit, but the basics are really, they need to know about five things. They need to know about the brand, the company as it were. They need to know about the location. They need to know about the job. They need to know about the experience. And they, they want to know if they're going to be personally or professionally satisfied taking this job, right? Now, you, who probably has some con connection or ownership of the career site, thinks, well, I have job descriptions out there. I have my company brand out there. I, I have the address for the jobs there. So I've got the first three, right? I've got brand and location and job, and you're wrong. You could not be further from the truth. One, saying who a company is assumes that someone knows who a company is, that they understand what that brand or logo means. Okay, if you're in Minnesota and you don't know what Target is, well, you're not paying attention. Well, you shouldn't have that job, right? If you're in Southern California and you don't know what Facebook is, well, guess what? I'm sorry, not Southern California, in the Valley, and you don't know what Facebook is, uh, what are you doing? Okay, so there's a handful of, ex of exceptions for that. But there's a bajillion companies. You know there's 18 million companies in this country? 18 million. How many brands can you name off the top of your head? I'll give you like five minutes. Can you come up with more than 200? You know, that's like a drop in the bucket that I'm going to have to do math to figure out what minus teeny, tiny, 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 tiny percentage of the world that is. Nothing. It's nothing. However, all those 18 million companies are probably looking for talent. Even if you remove the, the mom and pops and the one-person operations, you're still talking about millions of companies looking to hire today right? You don't know them all. Nobody knows them all. Chances are nobody knows you. Uh, here's a great example. Who knows what VMware is? Now, if you're a business traveler and you're seeing their signs on airports, maybe you know who they are. Um, if you are in IT, maybe you know who they are. Otherwise, there's a good chance that you have no clue whatsoever who VMware is, and they are virtual virtual machine software, meaning they're the things that make all the back-end conversations on the internet and e-commerce, all that stuff, they make that work, really. You'll, you've, you've never actually logged on to a VM machine or, <clears throat> sorry, or a VMware platform, but everything you've done on, on the internet probably has touched it on some level. However, they're massive. They're a massive, massive, massive company. <clears throat> massive. Uh, they like to call themselves Google for adults. Uh, they have a huge campus in the Bay Area. It's gorgeous. Um, they hire really smart people. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm actually trying to get one of the people there to talk to us, uh, to interview, to talk about what they've been doing the last couple of years just because I, I know what they've been up to. Um, 
But chances are the smart people they want to hire have never heard of them or don't know them or don't know enough about them to say, yes, they're uh, an employer of choice for me, right? If they can't get it right, you can't get it right. So what you need to do is establish who your brand is, what's it all about. And that means telling stories, talking about what your brand's all about. Okay. Now this is a hierarchy. So kind of like uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs that you learned in 10th grade health class, um, one builds upon the next. So building upon company is location. And it's not just about the address, though that's clearly a big chunk of it. It's about uh, where is this? Is this in a warehouse or is this in an office? Is this in a high rise or is this in a, a strip mall? Is this in a boiler room kind of situation or am I going to get an office? Um, what's the coffee like? What's the parking like? What's the lunch like? What's the, the ability to run errands like? Can I commute via train? Do I need to drive my car? Can I bring my dog? Can I bike here? Blah, 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 blah. All that stuff is about the location and knowing the address gets you about 10% of that information. And that's what people are looking for. They want to know where is this job and what's the job going to, you know, what's the physical environment of the job? On top of that is job itself. What is the job? Am I qualified for the job? Who is working in this job right now? Do they look and sound and feel like me? Right? So if, you know, and these, these, are, these are hierarchical. So if I see a job description that has an amazing job for me, I mean, it's like, oh, wow, that's exactly what I would ever want. That's my dream job. And I, it's a t term I hate, but there you go. Um, you know, it, it, oh, man, I bet that even pays really well. And, oh, wow, it, I can work from home sometime. That's super flexible and not everything I'm looking for, right? And it turns out I'm working for Halliburton. Yeah, thanks for playing. Turns out it's in Ohio. No, I'm, I'm good, thanks. I'm in Chicago. I'm fine, thanks. Those things, even if I have the job right, and you know, if you're uh, conservative and you get the same job offer from Hillary, I'm sure you'd have the exact same reaction. Uh, this isn't anything personal. Um, but if the job seems right, but you don't have the location, the brand right, it's effectively worthless. But on top of the job itself is the experience of working there. What's it really like? Who succeeds there? Tell me stories about the team. Tell me stories about the people. Tell me stories about the boss, right? Everybody knows that people don't quit jobs, they quit bosses. Well, then maybe tell me something about the boss. Now, all those things are stories you can tell, and frankly, you should absolutely tell them, and you should make them exactly easily defined on the Google generation, meaning you're going to put them a lot of places. We're going to talk about that in a second. But they all lead to this idea that what people and job searchers are looking for is personal and professional satisfaction. Now you can't actually build content around that. Hey, you're, hey Bob, hey Sue, you're gonna be satisfied. Yeah, that's gonna ring pretty hollow. However, if you tell stories about brand and location and job and experience, people can make inferences and make decisions about how personally and professionally satisfied they're going to be. And in the end, you need to make these stories, as we're calling them, authentic. They need to feel real. They need to be real, right? They need to be from the people doing the job. They need to be from people on the front lines. They can't be incredibly polished marketing pieces that shine when the light hits them because they're so well polished. They can't be stock art or stock stories. They can't be BS. They have to be real. And you have to put them in places where people are going to find them. So. I'm going to wrap this up a little bit. You're welcome. Um, so let's talk about strategy about approaching or attracting millennials. So first off is that you need to avoid well, – let me, let me back that one up. Let me talk about this. So in the last couple of years, three, four years, 
your social media sites have become a lot less social and a lot more media, right? So it used to be you could make a Facebook company page and get a thousand people to show up and then when you posted something on that page, all thousand people would see it. Well, those days are long gone. Uh, right now, the current average is one to three percent and I think that's a little high. Um, so when you have a thousand people and you post something, 10 people see it. Wah, wah. Uh, so all that time and money you spent because Facebook told you to, to grow your audience on that Facebook page because you will always talk to your fans whenever you want, was a lie? Weird. Strange. Um, so now when you want to talk to them, you have to, what's that word I'm looking for? Oh yeah, pay for it. <laughs> it's like Facebook knew what it was doing. Um, so yeah, if you want to reach that audience, you have to pay for it. It's effectively a media site. That's all it is. It's an ad. You just push ads. However, Facebook has a role beyond that. So if you're, a, let's go back to the, 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 the millennials here and the, the flavors. They, if you're looking for seekers, one of the things they do, and we know this statistically, is that in the middle of that funnel, when their interest is peaked and they're interested, they're trying to figure out what they want to do next and if they want to apply, if they want to make a decision, they do the research. They go to Google. They go to Glassdoor. They go to LinkedIn. And weirdly, they go to Facebook. We know that 63% of all millennials will stop at your Facebook page to learn about your culture in the middle of their process. They're not looking for a job. They found the job. They have the job. They found the job description, the opening. They know what it is. Now they're looking for information about it. Facebook is not about job search. Facebook is about research. I'm going to say that again because it's darn catchy. Facebook is not about job search. It's about research, right? People come to Facebook to get information about who you are, to, to fill in that hierarchy of information, right? So you got to put it out there. You don't have to put it out there and promote it necessarily. You just have to make it easy to find because they know they're, you know they're going to stop at Facebook and Glassdoor and LinkedIn and, and Google. Make sure those four platforms have information about you. They fill those blanks in that explain who you are, that define your brand, that define your location, that define the job, that define the experience, Right? That means you have to tell those stories, but that you have to put them on Glassdoor and Facebook and LinkedIn. You can start thinking about Google in terms of how do I put things out there. You can use Medium. You can use Tumblr. You can use microsites. You can use your, I don't know, your career site and make sure it's Googleable. Um, that's where those stories have to live. People have to be able to find it. On top of that, I want you to leverage your recruiters. Yeah, I know. I think everybody seems to think recruitment marketers want to get rid of recruiters, and they could not be farther from the truth. Man, I love recruiters. Man, they make my life easier. If it wasn't for them, they're the rubber meaning the road. They're the ground troops of this thing. I have a. I work the air platform. I don't know, whatever. I, I, this is a thing where they're talking to actual candidates. I'm just helping you talk to a the web of a broad spectrum of people. They're talking to people, individuals. And they can listen and they can hear and they can respond. And they're, they're great at getting people over that last hurdle to getting them to apply. So what you want to do is tell those stories and make them incredibly available to your recruiters and say, look, when you have a candidate who's wondering if this is the kind of company where someone can grow themselves and, and expand their career path and, and take it and treat this more than just a job, I want you to send them this story about the person who started in the mailroom who's now vice president of blah, 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 blah. They did a whole start at the bottom, now I'm at the top kind of thing. You want to hand that story to them, not in a pitchy kind of way, but say, hey, look, I think this might be something that would help you make a decision, and then walk away. That's exactly what they'll do. They'll make a decision. 
You need to use those recruiters and leverage those recruiters to spread that information as they see fit because it's not about being a media channel for them. It's about just using, giving them the ammunition to tell the story and to convince people to make the change, right? Also, if you're going to build those stories and you're going to put them out there and you're going to put them on your career site, maybe take a tiny, 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 tiny little sliver of your ad budget that you push to your jobs and throw them to pushing people to your stories. Get people interested in who you are, and then they'll apply for a job. I don't know. Just a thing. Just a thing I'm, 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 I'm suggesting. So so that's really all I had to talk about. Uh, I hope you enjoyed our podcast. We're going to try and do this on a fairly regular basis. Um, hoping this works. Hey, 38 minutes. Um, perfect. So if you have any questions, if you have any comments, if you uh, want to yell at me and tell me I'm wrong or want to yell at me and tell me I'm right, you know, if you're going to tell me you're, I'm right, you might as well do it loudly. Um, I'm on Twitter like everybody else who matters, I guess. Um, the War for Talent, um, you can find me. Or you can just go to the podcast webpage, which is thetalentcast.com, and you can see where to find me on LinkedIn and Twitter and whatnot. Um, that's where I am. Also, if you have an interesting person who you would like me to interview or have a conversation with about recruitment marketing, man, I want to have a conversation with them. Just contact me on Twitter or the, all the other places I talked about. Um, otherwise, just keep sharing this plat- uh, podcast. Let people know. Maybe review it on Apple. Wouldn't that be cool? Um, and and I, thanks, I, think I appreciate your time, and uh, we'll talk to you very, very soon. Have a great day.